recorded live in the Phantasmo Lounge high atop the JDH Stewart Building in beautiful Midtown Portsmouth, Virginia. It's Phantasmo After Dark with your host, Rob Floyd, and co-host, Phyllis Floyd. Tonight's topic, The Haunting. Well, hey everybody. Hey, Phyllis. Hey, Rob. Welcome back to the old podcast here. Tonight's topic, uh, the night was a 1963 Robert Wise movie, The Haunting. It's one I've been wanting to watch for a long time, and we finally did watch it. Indeed. But it's one of those, you know, that's always on, you know, you always have a bunch of movies on your list to watch, and you just never get around to doing it, you know? (laughs) And we finally did. And this is one that's been on my list for years to watch, and finally got around to watching it. I think it was worth the wait. It was really good. Yeah, it was good. It it was a little slow uh, in, in some parts. It didn't really hurt it too much. I think I was... Partially, I was really tired well, yeah, when we were sitting there to watch it. So I didn't find it that, that made slow. it more so to me. But even the parts that you might have thought were slow, I thought was still very tense. It it did have so. yeah a, a very tense feeling running through the whole movie, like that tension constant, which yeah. was good. Which it, is it, wonderful it, for a ghost story. Yeah, it didn't ha- it didn't like build and drop, build and drop. Mm-hmm. It did have some that were more tense. But it didn't drop to like, oh, comic, okay, something funny's happening. Oh, to take me off, you know, off my guard. No, it yeah. kept you kind of on that tension, like, okay, what's the next thing that's gonna happen? You know? Yeah, there really wasn't anything funny. The movie is basically it's a haunted house movie, right? Uh, uh, kind of an old, uh, typical old dark house movie, but it was. It's based on a novel written in 1959 called The Haunting of Hill House, yeah. which should sound very familiar to people these days. Who have Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which we still have not watched the Netflix series. No, we're we're, we're kind of building up to it. We're building up to it. We wanted to watch this other stuff first. Yeah. This one, you can tell that, well, I don't know if, if it was based on it or borrowed from it, but Legend of Hell House is really similar in a lot of ways to this. Mm. I, I think I, I'd have to go back and watch this one again. I've seen Legend of Hell House so many times, mm-hmm. and I really like that one a right. lot. And I think, of course, a lot of that has to do with the cast. You know, Roddy McDowell. Well, yeah, I watched Roddy read the phone book. You sure. Know. This, the people in it are are all right, but I don't think they have the charisma that the the cast in the, in the uh, Hell House has. Yeah, well, that's true. I mean, I liked these people, but yeah, you're yeah. right. I mean, they're no Roddy. Uh, well, let's go over there. You got Julie Christie. Right. Uh, Claire Bloom. Mm-hmm. Well, who do Rich, they play? Richard Johnson. Uh, wait a minute, Russ Tamblin. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's your basic inhabitants of the house throughout the movie. Yeah. Russ Tamblin is the nephew of the old lady that owns the house, and he's there to just kind of keep an eye on everything. Yep. His Richard Johnson Luke. is the doctor. The uh, John Markway, the scientist, yeah, who assembles the people together to for the study. Mm-hmm. Claire Bloom is Theodora or Theo. Mm-hmm. Who has ESP powers, if you will. Yeah. yeah. And Julie Christie is uh, Nell or Eleanor. Right. And she just has has had experience with poltergeists and ghosts since she was a child. Well, we think. We th- well, that's what we're told. Yeah. Well, and and there's also some thought that maybe she's psychokinetic, but nobody actually alludes to that. They just kind of mention psychokinesis and. Yeah. Then they talk about some rocks falling on her house or something. And so, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. The only other characters we see are the maid and the groundskeeper just a couple of times at the beginning, really. The Dudleys. Yeah. And then you have, before they get to the house, you get a little backstory on Eleanor. Mm -hmm. And 
you get the scientist negotiating to rent the house for a month for a study right. or a few weeks. Yeah. The rest of it takes place pretty much inside the house the entire time with just those four people until the scientist's wife shows up right towards the end because she's not at all convinced that there's anything supernatural and is tired of him wasting his time. So she she wants to be there if anything does happen so she can see what it, all the all hubbub, the hubbub is, is about. about. <laughs> yeah. And she finds out. She does indeed. Now, the book that this came from and doing a little research on this is uh, quite a bit different in, in a few ways. There's a lot more backstory, apparently. I'm not sure with just Eleanor if it's with the rest of the... I think it is with the rest of the characters. You get a little backstory in each one more. The Luke character isn't as flippant as he is in this. Mm-hmm. The doctor in the book isn't as self-assured as he is in the movie. Nell is... See, I'm trying to remember. Because I, I read the screenplay. The first draft of the screenplay was different, too. Oh. I think she's not the mental... Her mental state isn't as out there in the original book. Um, I could be mistaken about it. In the screenplay, it's more so. I'll get that in a second. And Theo, in the book, it's blatantly obvious her sexual orientation. Okay. Where in the... I believe that that's what it is. In the first draft of the screenplay, it was more obvious. And there was a scene in her apartment before she gets to the house. Mm Mm-hmm. Where there's written on the mirror in, it's obvious that she had just broken up with her, her girlfriend? living lover, her girlfriend. It was written on the mirror, I hate you, and lipstick, and then she's shouting obscenities out the window at her. Okay. So, but they took that out because they're like, eh, it's a little too explicit for the time the movie for came out. For 1963. Yeah. Interesting. In the part that actually got filmed, they allude to it. I say subtly. But not so subtly. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if it... In 1963, would it have been subtle or is it... Well, they allude to it quite a bit without coming out and saying it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Without saying, I have a girlfriend. It's subtle little things they say. Like, they know. Yeah. And you know that they know. Yeah, they've picked up on the fact that she's gay. Yeah. Yeah. They've picked up on it, and Eleanor certainly puts it out there a little bit towards, uh, or I'm sorry, Theo puts it out there towards Eleanor. Because you're not sure. Well, it goes back and forth, her appearing that she's interested in Eleanor, and then her acting like a total bitch towards her. Now, that's supposed to be her sense of humor, is what it was said in the original draft of the script. Well, in this draft, they play up her sense of humor Mm -hmm. more her quirky sense of humor, to, mm-hmm. so it puts her at odds with Eleanor. Well, I think that... To give her like a foil. I picked up some of that as being her sense of humor, and then I picked up some of that as being the fact that Eleanor obviously began to have feelings for Dr. Markham, or excuse me, Bar- Markway. Yeah. And, of course, it being somewhat obvious, and then the fact that Theo is, is psychic and yeah. has ESP and can pick up on the fact of what Eleanor is feeling. I think she had a little bit of jealousy there. Yeah. Now, that's another thing. In the first draft of the screenplay, the uh, guy who was writing the screenplay had written it. This is this would have made a cool movie, that it was all in Eleanor's head. Everything the, happened in everything Eleanor's head? Everything happened. That was she, she actually was, at the house? No, she was in an asylum. Ah. And the doctor that was treating her, the psychiatrist, was Markway. Okay. And... The banging that they heard was on oh, this loud banging was her getting shock treatments. Oh, wow. 
and I forget what it was. Luke was anyway. They were all people in the asylum. Yeah, but that's how she envisioned it when she was in a haunted house. Hmm. And I thought that was all. Oh, that would have been awesome to have that twist at the end and like, oh, wow, you know. But anyway, but this movie though the the plot the doctor rents out this he's fascinated in supernatural supernatural he's trying to prove that it it exists. So he rents this haunted house for a few weeks, and he assembles this group of people. Oh, that's another thing in the book that was different. The people in the house, there were more people. It mm-hmm. wasn't just three. Gotcha. Or four. They could just cut those characters out. Mm-hmm. So he assembles this group of people, and he whittles it down to just two, the two girls. There was a long list of people mm-hmm. that he had been researching over a period of a few years to find the perfect people that had sensitivity to supernatural occurrences to be there. And he gets them in the house and he just wants them to experience the house and write down what they experience, what they experience at yeah. the end of each day. And that's basically the story. Yeah. Taking away the backstory yeah. of the house. Right. And what happened and why the house is haunted. Yeah. Which is the typical stuff that's all there's there's deaths in the house and there's this questionable of how they died and stuff like that. Yeah. Know? We don't need to give a detailed description of everything. You watch the movie for that. Yeah. Know. Overall, it was... Oh, one thing to take into account, too, is it was a British film. So it has that kind of pacing of a lot of British films where it's a little slow. But, like you said, it's very atmospheric and very tense the whole time. Right. And it was shot really uniquely, I think. And a lot, a lot of the... There were a lot of really, really cool shots. A lot of point of view... Yeah, a lot of point of view and then going back and forth between point of view and establishing shots and then a lot of aerial views and Mm -hmm. a lot of, you know, bird's eye views shooting up and then some tilted camera views, which was done on purpose. And the the way they moved the camera around a lot Mm -hmm. was done on purpose to disorient the viewer so you wouldn't know where exactly you were in the house. Yeah, well, that was it was a continuing theme. That they were lost in the house often. Yeah. And one one way they achieved that, I, I read, I didn't know this before, mm-hmm. is, oh, geez, what, what's uh, the lens company? Anyway, I can't remember the name. Where they got the lenses for the camera, mm-hmm. uh, it was 40 millimeter was the only thing they had. But Robert Wise, the director, found out they were working on a 30 millimeter lens, but it wasn't perfected yet and it had a distortion to it. Oh, he wanted it. He finally convinced them to let him use it. Huh. As long as he signed a waiver, a statement saying that he knew that there it was, was a distortion. There was a distortion in it. So oh. the pub, it wouldn't get out that he Oh look, he used a lens from this company and it's bad lens, you know. Yeah, yeah. But he wanted that on purpose. So it, it made the house look longer and twistier and weird oh, in some wow. shots. Yeah. That's really cool. Very effective. Yeah, it was. You know, and well done. the how the house that they shot in actually they didn't shoot in any house. Okay. The exteriors were an actual big mansion castle house in England. Right. I uh, forget the name of the place. All the exteriors were shot there, and they stayed in there mm-hmm. in the house, uh, mansion, castle, whatever you call it, while they shot the exteriors. The cast did. Mm-hmm. All the interiors were sets. Wow. At MGM London, whatever the name of the studio was there, Mm -hmm. that they built there. So it was all on built sets. 
Well, they were elaborately uh, set decorated. Oh, and on, on purpose, <laughs> you know. Yeah, well, I'm sure it was well to done. To be shot a certain. Also, too, they built the sets with ceilings. Okay. Which you know, a lot most movie sets don't because yeah, they yeah. gotta hang lights. Well, but yeah, they did but you it on purpose. Tell. They did, yeah. They to give them. a claustrophobic feeling. Yeah. To every room, right? Even the bigger rooms, you know, wow. that was on purpose. Well, they very calculated. It. They did a very good job of it because those were uh, amazing. Yeah. I would not have guessed they were sets. So who is the director again? Okay, Robert Wise. Robert Wise, a lot of people know that name. It is directed tons of important things. Indeed. <laughs> and tell us some of them. Uh, the Sound of Music. Yep. Oh, geez. What was the other one? Uh, West Side Story. West Side Story. Mm-hmm. You know, that's where he knows Russ Tamlin from. And Star Trek The Motion Picture. <laughs> uh, you can say what you want about that one, but... <laughs> I like it. And we did a podcast on one of our early podcasts. Uh, I think Tony and I, we talked about Star Trek The Motion Picture. So Mm -hmm. go back and check that out. Excellent director. I mean, his pedigree, you know, and you look down at the list of everything else he's done too. But, you know, and and it's a credit to him as a director, the way this thing was shot, you know, and what he chose to do and, and, you know, how to play. Apparently, the doctor, uh, Richard Johnson, Got a lot of advice from Robert Wise how to play the character mm-hmm. or how how to act in film in general. Because he mainly he was a, a, a stage actor. Well, he did a lot of television. He's done a lot of film, but he was really a stage actor. And he gave him advice on how to play the character, like not to blink so much, you know, and and just all the little odds and ends uh, bits. And he really credits Wise to helping him with that. Uh, and a lot of stuff I've read. Well, he, uh, he did a good job with it. Oh, yeah, he was great in that. And uh, a lot, a little side note, Richard Johnson was also Dr. Menard and Fulci Zombie uh-huh. on the island. So Right. So he's got that going for him. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, talking about the shots that, that he used, one of the first things I said. Yeah. Um, well, I don't know when I actually started speaking during the movie, I don't know. There was <laughs> the first time we experienced any of the ghostly stuff was the first night they sleep there uh-huh. and the girls are hearing the knocking Yeah, and they run into the one bedroom together because their room's connected by a bathroom. So they run into the one bedroom together and they, they hear the knocking at the door and then they're staring at the door. So then you see the camera switch from looking at the girls to looking at the door as if they're, it's point of view, looking at the door. And they're staring at the doorknob, watching it slightly turn, which was a cool doorknob, by the way. It was like a Medusa head. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. It was really neat. So it slightly turns. And then it's back to them. Did you lock the door? No. And then it's back to the doorknob. And then it's up to the top of the door frame. And then it's down to the bottom of the door frame to, or to see if you can see anything under the under the door, like, like the there, light, like, yeah, they would really be looking. Their eyes would yeah, really be exactly. Going like you that. know, so can, you could see the light from the hallway. Is there any feet under there? You know, could you see people? And then it's to the side of the door. Exactly, it's what I would be doing if I was yeah. staring at a door that's getting ready to open, and I think there's a ghost on the other exactly side. Exactly how your eyes would be tracking, right? Everything. Yeah. yeah. So it was. It really was authentic feeling to me. It was. I loved the way he shot that part. You know, and then the next scene that I really liked yeah. that made me think about that was the that first mirror shot. I don't even know if it was the first one, but the first one that caught my eye was that one mirror oh, in the dining the, hall. Uh-huh, yeah. That was a really, really well-framed shot. Well, yeah, because it's like you're, fa- you're seeing him talk. Yes. And then you're seeing the back of him in the mirror, but you're seeing, I think you're seeing the back of their heads in the frame, mm-hmm. but the, the front, front of their faces in the mirror. Mm-hmm. So you're seeing them respond to him. Yeah. Without having well, to and, switch the camera back and forth. Yeah, and then he gets up and moves from the head of the table 
crosses them in the mirror yeah. and is on the right-hand side of the screen. And so you get to see like all the sides of him turning in the mirror. Yeah. And it's one one tracked shot. Well, well, it's not even tracked. It's a still yeah. shot. But he never, the shot doesn't cut. The camera never moves, but no, he does. but he does. Yeah. And so you see all of it in the mirror yeah, and all the neat, different, it was really neat. Yeah, but and the way the well mirror done. is tilted forward. Yeah. Slightly, so it gives a feeling of the also gives a feeling of the ceiling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, looking down, giving but it's also depth. so you don't see the camera. The yeah. <laughs> camera can be over here; you don't see it in the mirror. Right. You know, yeah, it was it was a really really cool shot. Oh yeah, that there was were cool. lots, and of they really did that cool again shots. too later. Yeah, on they did. They liked that with mirror. the mirror, and then the mirror in the hallway that really distorted everything. Uh-huh. That was kind of um, con- not concave, but um, convex. Convex. Yeah, I didn't realize it was a mirror at first, and of course, you're not supposed to. It gives you that really, really distorted look until oh, yeah. you see her face in it and then it pulls out and you're yeah. like, oh, it's a mirror. Anyhow, you can go on and on about all the cool shots in this. Oh, there yeah. are tons and of them. And I'm gonna. Um, <laughs> I can't remember what scene it was, but the first time the camera really moves mm-hmm. and it hadn't done it up to that point like that. Mm-hmm. So it really does throw you off. It was one where, oh, I can't remember the scene, but the camera moves and then it starts moving to make it look like or give the feeling that the person or whatever is wobbling, kind of, you know, is uh, the person right. is disoriented in the shot. Yeah, and yeah. it's really effective mm-hmm. the way it's, it wasn't overdone. It's it wasn't, not shaky cam. No, it's not shaky <laughs> cam. And it's not Star Trek where they go side to side and lean like the, you know, the ship is tilting. It was very effective because it was pulled out of nowhere. And mm-hmm. I don't think they do it that way again. Oh, no, you're right. No, I don't think they do. You know, which if is they smart. Do, I didn't notice yeah, it. Which but... is smart because, you know, it's. It's a great effect, but once it's done, mm-hmm. it's, if they do it again, you've already seen it. And it's yeah. not going to work. Yeah, it's not going to work. Don't ever use it, right? They realize that. Yeah. You know. It's magic once. Yeah. I think everybody plays their part in it, too. Uh, very, I don't want to say subtle, but restrained. Yeah. You know, they, they I mean, rope it just, in a little bit. They're, they're not, just natural. They're realistic. Yeah, they're kind of natural about everything. It's like the Russ Hamlin character is a little flippant about stuff, but he's like a young guy. Yeah. Who's like... Uh, I'm just waiting in here at this house, you know. Yeah. I don't believe in the supernatural, whatever. Yeah. But he's of, not he's uh, not a caricature of that type of character. Right. Of the four people, sadly I would say his is the least natural of all of them, but yeah. he was still really good. He didn't feel unnatural to me, you know. Yeah. And the doctor is the doctor. Mm-hmm. The now the two girls, when we were watching this, I told you I kinda have a problem with them. Yeah. And the way they're written. Yeah. Not the way they're active, but the way they're written is they become like they're going to be friends mm-hmm. and okay, we're going to kind of lean on each other here. And then the one girl starts showing like a little affection for, her, and you're like, she, she might be gay. You know, she might yeah. be lesbian. And the other girl of course is emotionally awkward and socially awkward and stunted in her growth. Yeah. Socially because well, and of her just, upbringing. She's and she's a little whacked star- out. Well, she's a little whacked out. She's starred for any type of attention anyway. Yeah. Because she's, her well, we won't go into all the history, but her basic history was she spent eleven years taking care of her invalid mother from when she was young. From when she was young, and her sister, I guess, didn't take care of her at all. She just like left her there or something, and so her sister treats her like crap, and she lives with her sister now. And she, her mother just died what two months ago, a month something ago, like, that, yeah. like very not very long ago, and she felt like that it was her fault somehow that her mother died but anyway so she's screwed up in the head and she's she's very socially awkward she doesn't have any form of 
friendship or outside source for communication. Yeah. You know, so she, I think she's a little bipolar maybe. Yeah. I mean, she's just, well, that, she's that, really screwed up. That comes and goes, which that's what bipolar does. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> but, and so but maybe that's part of well, it probably where is. that comes from. But what, I, what I'm getting at, it, and yeah, I'm sure it is. And that I get. Yeah. But I think I, my problem more is with the Theo character. Okay. Is to where she's, she might be interested in her. Yeah. Or she might not, but she's nice to her. Right. And like, like, okay, I'm going to look out for you. Mm-hmm. And then she gets real bitchy at her mm-hmm. at different points. Now, that might be might have supposed to have been her sense of humor, but it doesn't come off that way. I think that that is a bit of her sense of humor and a bit of the fact that she's picking up on what people are thinking. And she... Oh, could be. I mean, yeah. imagine, I mean, the imagine time where, if The time at can... the end where it does, where she comes out and says... Yeah. Where Nell comes out and basically says, I know what you are. Right. Without saying that. Yeah. That I get her being cold then. Well, yeah. But, but there's I other mean, parts where I'm like, but you were just consoling. It's just, it's not a transition into that. It's too abrupt is what I guess is what I'm getting at. I get what you're saying, but I, I don't know that I completely agree because imagine if you could, could essentially pick up on what people are well, You're thinking. entitled to be wrong. Oh, shush. <laughs> If you could pick up on what people were thinking all the time. Yeah. Every thought. Yeah. And then think about what you think. Yeah. All the time. You don't always have nice thoughts about things and people oh, that are true. going yeah, on. Yeah, true. And that's true. not what comes out of your mouth. And that's not always really what you feel about people. Yeah. You have bad thoughts about Random people. thoughts always going through people's yeah. heads. Yeah. So I can see how if you pick up on that from somebody else. You're constantly in flux with your well, own emotions because you I, are I, having to I adjust to that. I get that, but for the sake of the story and the way it's the you story's just felt laid like out, you heard it. I, I, well, I don't hurt it. It's just it was too. There was no transitions. It was too abrupt, mm-hmm. and that wasn't portrayed that that's what was going on with her. Her, her, her. The fact that she had ESP, I forgot about a lot oh. because it wasn't shown. Well, they, Hardly. No, they showed it a lot. Well, I don't. I she don't was think constantly it, rattling off bits yeah, of information but, that people were thinking. Yeah, but th- these instances where she's going from being, like I said, protective and consoling, and then to- then switching to being bitchy, it it flip flopped too much. I think if it was if it built up to it at some point, and then it was okay, you know, or or she stayed that way for a while, and then it went. It went down, but it flip-flopped back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And Nell flip-flopped back with her back and forth, back and forth. You know, it wasn't like, why are you being bitchy about to me? She went, well, I understood of course, she why was Nell wigged did, out too. Neil, I understand why Nell did because Nell was just out there. Yeah. She's not all there. Yeah. Theo, I, I honestly put towards the fact that she was constantly picking up on people's emotions and if that didn't work for you then i get that but yeah i mean you know i get it i just picking up on on things like that myself now and again not strictly esp i'm not saying that no no but i tend to feel what other people feel a lot of times and i I and you get vibes off people yeah and i soak that in and when i do then my emotions tend to change with what other people in the room are feeling so i I get that and i get what you're saying but i just don't think it was presented in the film. Very well. Very well. Okay. Well, I, mean, I get you are entitled from, to be wrong too. 
And if I was, that'd be fine. <laughs> <laughs> but I get what you're saying. And coming from your perspective of it, yeah, I can see how you would, boom, see it like that. Right. But I think the general viewer watching a haunted house film, there wasn't quite enough information given to draw that conclusion when you're focusing on the story. Well, that's probably true because nobody else is me. Yeah. And thank goodness for that. <laughs> oh, I mean that in a nice way. I didn't mean that in a sarcastic, bad way at all. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> I meant that in a very nice, almost mushy way. <laughs> thank goodness for that, sweetie. Oh, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, and we're back. Uh, <laughs> we probably spent way too long trying to discuss that, but that's okay. Well, it's a, it's a part it's of a the film, point. you know, that it, and it's a part of the film that I had like a, not a, a speed bump, but, you know, but it bothered lo- you constantly. An itch. Yeah. It's not like it was film. one, one conversation that it happened. No. It and constant. it did, it did not detract from my enjoyment of the film. Yeah. Like some stuff, you know, some movies you see, it's like that one thing was bothering me the whole time and I couldn't get into the film because of it. Yeah. That it did not. It did not at all. The rest of the film, the entirety of the film was fine. Yeah. I did enjoy the film and I do want to go back and watch it again sometime. And I think I want to watch it more to look at the film than to really follow the story. Yeah. To really look at the way it's shot more and pay attention to that because that stood out to me more than anything else. Oh, yeah. The way it was shot and, you know, and one thing the choices I... the director made and the cinematographer made with the film. Yeah. Well, one thing that I'm I'm sitting here thinking right now that I paid absolutely no attention to, which is unusual for me, I can't think of, of a single thing about the music in this movie. What what kind of music was I don't in know. this movie? Nothing really stu- stood out. That's so strange. I um, mean, normally I remember some yeah. kind of musical cues, but I don't remember a single thing yeah. about this music in this movie. Now there were there were lots of in, sound effects. Oh yeah. Oh oh, that's something real interesting. Yeah, I'll there's tell you lots something of cool I found ones. out about that. Oh, okay. Do a little research, please do. So the actors could have something to react to, and the reactions would be a little more natural. Mm-hmm. A lot of the sounds, like the ghost sounds or the loud bang and stuff like that, the director had a pre-recorded score. Of the sound effects hmm. to play during those scenes mm-hmm. so they would react and they left that stuff in the film and huh. added to it. So the sounds that you see, hear them react to uh-huh. is are these exact sounds they heard on the set. Just made louder? No, they, they left them in okay. and then added more to them. So well, added some cool. louder ones, added some different ones, yeah. but they didn't take any of that away. The huh. stuff they heard and really reacted to mm-hmm. is really on the soundtrack there. That's really cool. So that I yeah, like that, that was kind of cool. Yeah. Apparently in the book too, there were a lot more supernatural things happening mm-hmm. during the course of the film. Okay. That weren't in the film, the finished film. Mm-hmm. And what what a lot of the supernatural stuff that did happen in the film happened off camera. Okay. Uh, we heard you heard a lot of sounds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had to think about what you were saying. Yeah. I gotcha. You know. Yes, it did. I mean, you don't really see much of anything. The only visual thing you see really is like an occasional door shutting on its own. And even then, sometimes you don't see it happen. You just turn around and it's shut. Yeah. The only thing else I can think of that you see is the that one door that, yeah, was, that was really cool. Yeah. yeah. That kind of like... Well, bowed out. Bowed out, yeah. yeah. They were in the room and the door is just banging and banging and banging. And then all of a sudden the door kind of bows out 
towards them. Yeah, like somebody's pushing it in. Yeah, like it was almost latex or something, uh, a rubber door. But what mm-hmm. it was really wood. It was just laminated, a thin laminated piece of wood made to look like that door. Mm-hmm. And some crew members with a two by four, a big block of wood behind it pushing forward. Hmm. Very simple, but very effective yeah, on yeah, film. Yeah, it looked awesome. Uh, oh, and the film, this was 63, but it was shot in black and white. Right. And there were two reasons. One, budget, because he only had a million plus uh, budget. But also, some of the stuff I read, Robert Wise chose to work in black and white for this because he felt it was more effective for this type of movie, mood-wise. I can agree with that. Yeah, and, yeah I got to give him that. Uh, now, I, I love old Dark House movies. I don't love all of them, <laughs> but I love the I, a lot of them. Like I said, I do want to watch this one again, but as of right now, it's not one of my favorites. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say it's a favorite, but I would say that I enjoyed it. Uh, yeah, yeah. I really, I really did like it. I would like to see, I mean, I wouldn't be opposed to watching it again because there are still pieces of it, I guess, that I I think I probably missed when I was trying to focus on yeah. what the heck we yeah. were hearing. I mean, I like, you know, I, I love House on Haunted Hill. Mm-hmm. And that's a big house in that movie. It's not nearly as big or depicted as big or as elaborate or as fancy decorated as this one is in, in uh, The Haunting. Yeah. But I guess the Vincent Price. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But this one, I think, is more, like I said, is more of a Legend of Hell House feel to it mm-hmm. overall. And it's kind of the same story. How that may have been taken from this. I, it probably was, and I just yeah. neglected to research that. Uh, <laughs> one of the things, this one, of course, they did the, the remake of this called The Haunting in 1999. That was, yeah. who'd you say, Liam? Liam Neeson, Neeson Catherine Zeta-Jones. Which I think we've seen, but I really don't remember anything about it. We saw it in the it. theater. I remember going I, to see it. I remember it. nothing about it at all. I remember the house itself was like, ooh, I'd love to live here. Yeah. Because it's such a big mansion house. Mm-hmm. Other than that, I don't remember anything about it. So that's sad because I really like Liam Neeson and Catherine Zeta-Jones for well, that yeah. matter. But uh, yeah, there's that. And then <laughs> I have no idea if it's true that there's any relation to um, the game. Oh, <laughs> betrayal at house on the hill but there were people speculating that there was some kind of of relation to it yeah. i don't know i have no idea if it was or not at least but trading on name recognition. i mean it, it maybe it's just the name recognition because the game that i have the game and i've played it and it, i i don't see how there's any relation to it other than it's a haunted house uh-huh. but anyway it's just an interesting yeah. tidbit so what about the uh you don't really talk about the dudleys very much and they're kind of just throwaway characters i guess they're the yeah. caretakers yeah but the that was one thing that really cracked me up is the mrs dudley oh it has her her welcoming speech yes her welcoming speech is like exact yeah she says the exact same thing and the second time she's saying it people. nobody's paying attention to her yes and, and she doesn't she, stop no she just keeps talking and people are talking right over her yeah. but she refuses to stop yeah <laughs> and the next morning she talks about breakfast lunch and dinner <laughs> And she refuses to stop talking when nobody mm-hmm. listens to her. Yeah. It just was funny. I wonder why. Why did they even bother having that in the in the movie? I have oh, no what? idea. You know, there's a lot of times where a lot of characters step on each other's lines, like start talking before the other one stops. Yeah. And that was, Wise did that on purpose too. Yeah. For more of a natural feel, the way people talk. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. Instead of waiting for the person to finish 
and then starting your line. Yeah. Like you do on stage a lot. You yes. Know? Well, like we do to each other a lot yeah. out here. Oh, one thing I did want to mention too is it's really kind of unusual, this film, is it starts off with narration. Yeah. Well, and it's the doctor of, doing the narration. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then that's it. There's no more narration. But there's a lot of inner monologue from Eleanor. From Eleanor, though, only. The whole movie. From only Eleanor. Yep. And that's kind of unusual. You don't get that in a lot of films, mm-hmm. especially then, unless it was like, you know, noir detective movie. Yeah. And it's she not, came you know, into I my say, office. I say, she was inner, like, <laughs> I say inner monologue. It is, but it's more just you're hearing Eleanor talk to herself. Yeah. Her, because well, she's not. Her thoughts. Yeah, yeah, it's her thoughts, but it's not that she's just thinking, oh, what a pretty house or whatever. She's literally talking to herself in her head. Yeah. And giving herself a pep talk and whatever. Yeah. So, but it, it, or or what are they thinking about me? They're thinking this and that and the other thing. Yeah. 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 And that was kind of, it, it struck me kind of odd at first because you had somebody else doing this narration. Mm-hmm. And then you have her narrating what she's thinking. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like, okay, is everybody going to be have an inner monologue? Mm-hmm. And then at the very end, she does the narration, the close that narration. Yes. And that's kind of the bookend, like yeah. I called it, because oh, the, yeah. the opening speech talks about... Start, the, she starts with the same line at yeah. the closing that the opening narrates. Yeah, so he out. says something like, the Hill House has been here for 90 years, and it'll be here for 90 more, and, and then it goes she on. She says the exact same thing. Yeah, and it then, goes on, then and the last statement was, um, those like that, that reside here, reside here alone, or something like that. Walk. Walk alone, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Hill House had stood for 90 years and might stand for 90 more. Silence lay steadily against the wood and stone of Hill House. And whatever walked there, walked alone. But then she narrates the last bit of it. And she says, we walk alone. So I like that. thought that was pretty cool. Hill House has stood for 90 years and might stand for 90 more. Within, walls continue upright. Bricks meet, floors are firm, and doors are sensibly shut. Silence lies steadily against the wood and stone of Hill House. And we who walk here, walk alone. I think this is uh, readily available on DVD. My copy of the DVD I've had for years and years and years, and I can't remember where I got it. But I've had it for so long time, and it's one of those, like I said, it's been on the, the back burner and the list that I wanted to watch it, but we just never got around to it. Never in the mood to watch <laughs> that particular movie. Uh, it does appear to be consulting the magic oracle here. It does appear to be available on Amazon on DVD, but right now it's for $38. Holy crap. Yeah. I wonder if you can get it on Roku or something. Uh, probably, probably. Yeah, and I didn't um, check to see if it's available on Amazon prime or Netflix or anything. It may be out there streaming somewhere. Maybe. Yeah, it probably is. I had like, same thing. I haven't checked that either. It, appears that it is available, let's see, on a four-movie disc. Oh, this is good with the House of Wax, Freaks, and, well, the Spencer Tracy, Jekyll and Hyde, but that's 24. Hmm. Uh, that's better than 30, and you get more movies. Uh, <laughs> let's see. I wonder if it's on Blu-ray. Let's look. You do that. At the, at the Magic Oracle. Uh, yeah, now, <laughs> it's 38 bucks on DVD. It's thirteen eighty-nine on Blu-ray. That's just insane. Amazon Prime. So get it on Blu-ray. I bet the images will be a lot sharper. Just <laughs> just just a, you know, a thought. It might be 13 bucks. You get under 15 bucks, get it on Blu-ray, check it out. So Amazon will bring it right to your door in a matter of days. Right on. You're welcome, Amazon. <laughs>
Oh, you know, one thing I wanted to to mention, and I I asked you earlier, and you said, What's "Well, that? just save that for the podcast." Oh, yeah. Was uh, drawing the comparison between. We didn't go into this when we were talking about the movie, but uh-huh. one of the previous tenants of the house, one of the original tenants of the house was Abigail. She was raised in the house as a child. Her father uh-huh. built the house and she grew up alone there pretty much. And she became an old lady. And when she was an old lady, she hired a companion to live yeah. there with her. Uh, she died alone in her bedroom banging on the wall for help because the companion that she hired had left her alone in the bedroom to go like Get make out busy. yeah to go make out on the the veranda with a boyfriend or something mm-hmm. and so then she died and then they bring in Eleanor to the house and Eleanor was with her mother and her mother was her mother's caretaker yeah well she was her mother's caretaker and she blames herself for her mother's death because her mother was banging on the wall for her to come in to help her and she ignored her because she was tired and she didn't feel good herself and so she stayed in bed and of course then her mother died so it was a similar very similar similar incident and i don't know why that would be mentioned at all you well, know? to show that why the house chose her, maybe. You think the house had anything to do with choosing her? Oh, you mean just choosing her to stay? Yeah, uh-huh. Mm. Out of the people that were there. Gotcha. Because see, the end says the house got what it wants. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. or what it wanted for now. I mean, that's what I got out of that part. And yeah. that was the only thing I could think of, too, but it just seemed, I don't know. I'm not sure why it stuck in my head that it, that it seemed like there should have been more to it than that, but... Mm. I don't know. Whatever. Maybe she had a guilty conscience and that was enough. Yeah, that was pretty much cut and dry for me. As far as, because the parallels were the same. Yeah. And they had to give us us that information so we would see that. Yeah. Well, I guess I was hung up on the fact that that Abigail died, but then I kind of brushed over the fact that the companion ended up killing herself there too. I forgot about that. Yeah. So that, that must be it then. And at the end, even though... She passed out or gave up control of her car. Mm-hmm. She drove she her car into a tree. She drove her car into so, a tree. So, you know. Yeah. True. Yeah. So I think that was about, you know, like I said, pretty much cut and dried on that. I suppose that's all there is to it. Yeah. Never mind. <laughs> Forget I mentioned it. Now, there, like I said before, a lot of old Dark House movies out there, and some are better than others. This one, I really didn't see the end coming as abruptly as it did thing we were talking about earlier and i wasn't looking at how long the movie had been on so i thought we still had more of the movie to go when it did end the way it did with her running into the tree you know leaving leaving the grounds of the house to get away driving her car away and i kind of had in the back of my mind i guess burnt offerings you know where they're basically in a haunted house and there's a one part where they're driving to get away and they wreck the car and they have to go back to the house and some more stuff happens before it gets to the big climax. Right. I was, I think, expecting a little bigger a climax than that, than what we got. Okay. You know? Yeah. That it wasn't, it wasn't bad. And I guess it was kind of good that it was that sudden, but it seemed a little anticlimactic to me. Hmm. Yeah. I think I expected more things to happen with the other people before it finally you know, she's dead and she's and part over. of the house now. It's over. Yeah, know. I gotcha. 
I don't know that I did or didn't. I mean, I I saw where it was going, and the obvious conclusion was she was going to be part of the house. I mean, I think I she kind of figured that. that but I she thought, made it pretty clear that she was yeah. going to stay there yeah. one way or another. But I don't know that I figured anybody else was going to have anything happen. I just thought some there was more more coming to the movie. I didn't think boom that was the end. Yeah, I gotcha. Because they're like, okay, we're going to continue the investigation. We're sending you away because you're having a rough time and you shouldn't be here. So, Yeah. But, you know, that being said, again, it didn't take away from the movie. It's just like, huh, okay. But definitely the narration at the end was was cool. Yeah. Where she was doing the narration then, you know. Yeah, that was awesome. As she was part of the house by that point. So I got to give them that. Now, Talking about other old Dark House movies real quick, what it, what's your, one of your favorites or your favorite one? I mean, I got I've said it before. I think I said it earlier. Uh, House on a Haunted Hill is probably my favorite, and that has a lot to do with it's a William Castle movie. It had a gimmick. It has Vincent Price in it. Uh, Carol Omart from Spider Baby, you know, and it has uh, at least one good real jump scare that works every time, even when you know it's coming, you know. <laughs> and that one's kind of odd because it's really not a big movie. You know, it's a tight little low-budget kind of quickie movie. But for me, it really works. This one, there's a lot going on and a lot of big set pieces and stuff. And uh, maybe I just need to watch it again. This has got a lot of critical acclaim. And over the years, a lot of people list this in their top horror movies of all time. I think Scorsese says this is like his favorite, believe it or not. A lot of critical acclaim, a lot of public acclaim. I don't know, maybe I just wasn't as good an audience for it on first viewing <laughs> as I should have been not saying that, it, that I dislike it by any stretch of the imagination, but I don't want to overhype it either. You know, I don't know what one of my favorites would be. I mean, house on a haunted hill is definitely way up there. Yeah. And I know we, what we did podcast was a legend of hell house. We watched that. Yeah. I always have a special place in my heart for poltergeist, but that's only cause I saw it when I was really young. Yeah. And it, I wasn't supposed to be watching it. <laughs> so I like was sent to my room to go to bed, but I came back yeah. out to go to the bathroom and kind of like went around the corner and <laughs> watched it from the dining room. Yeah. So for some reason, it's always in my head as that's cool. being amazing, you know? So, I mean, that's up there, just but it's mostly nostalgia. Not that it's a terrible film or anything, but it's not a favorite. It's just, I think it's yeah. in my head. So I don't know. I don't know what my favorite would be. I Haunted House films are always fun for me, but I yeah. never think of them as being like... I think this one would be a lot more fun to watch closer to Halloween. Maybe. Where you're really in that mood for something kind of creepy and then, you know, the dark yeah, haunted house thing. Yeah. So maybe we'll give it. A, we'll have to give it another go uh, closer to October and see. Yeah, maybe. We shall see. It's definitely see. one you can watch with the whole family. Oh, yeah, definitely. There's no gore in it. There's no uh, 63. Nope. There's nothing. There's no nudity. There's no violence. There's nope. no super scary, I mean, the worst that you scary see, stuff. Yeah, the worst that you see other than a car crash and yeah. her being dead there, there's no gore or anything. Is the lady falls down the stairs, you see the... Kind of point of view of her falling. You see her point of view as she's yeah. falling, mainly. Yeah, and you do see like a bit of a tumble, but it's nothing yeah. gory or anything. But it's um, uh, and then you see the companion that hangs herself, but you just see her feet, yeah. and that's it. I mean, that's really all you see. Yeah, it's uh, the tension and the suspense is the story carries that along, mm-hmm. and the set pieces and the 
give the feeling, the claustrophobic feeling, which adds to the tension. Yeah. So you've got that going the whole time. Yeah. So and there's not even any jump scares or anything. No, no, yeah. there's really not. Yeah. I mean, there's enough tension to make you think there's going to be a jump scare. Yeah. You feel like it's coming, but it never does. But yeah. There, except there's that one part where she's running in the hall and goes up to the mirror and it's her own face. Yeah, but, that, but that's not really a, no, a jump. Not really. That's the closest thing. Yeah. So being devoid of that, which is kind of odd, mm-hmm. it's it seems like it's one of those movies that just kind of plods along and nothing happens, which yeah. it kind of does. I can kind of see that. But yeah. it's more of a it's it's an odd haunted house story that it's a character driven haunted house story more yeah. than the supernatural element of it. That's true. You know. Yeah. Well, and they try. I think they one thing they kind of maybe failed to do and i think they were trying to do was establish that the house is alive and i think they really wanted to establish that the house itself is a character uh-huh um which it probably does I, in the book i think more. maybe maybe but the house didn't feel like a character to me like no. like I, it should have not like know? in burnt offerings right in burnt offerings that house was definitely a character yeah and you know what maybe burnt offerings is one of my favorites now that i'm thinking of it i really did like that yeah, one a lot me too yeah but anyway, yeah, no, so I, I think they really kind of failed at making the house. Yeah, they dropped the ball on that aspect. Yeah, of it. yeah. Because it could have been much more if they had really followed yeah. up on that. So, pretty much what we're saying, because it's Robert Wise, that The Haunting is the Star Trek the motion picture of Haunted House movies. <laughs> Maybe so. <laughs> <laughs> Where it's, you're first watching, it's like, eh, but there's stuff in it you like. There's some really cool There's stuff. There's some really good in stuff in it. The more yeah. you think about it, maybe watching it again, it'll be like, you know, later on, it's like, well, there's a little more to this than I yeah. thought. Because I do definitely enjoy the motion picture more now yeah. than when I first saw oh, it. Oh, definitely. And especially the director's cut, you know. Yeah. Uh, with all its issues, it's a more enjoyable film now. So The Haunting, I think, will be more enjoyable second time around. Probably so. And I'm that, you know, I'm that way with a lot of movies, so. Yeah. You know, I get caught up in the spectacle or the anticipation of watching it, and then I have an opinion, but I need to see it again to validate the opinion. Yeah. Or to make sure that, okay, did I see that right, or am I just caught up in the hype of it? Well, but you know what's really disappointing, though? It's the ones that are the opposite that really are sad to me. Mm. The ones that you watch, and it's like, that was amazing, and then you watch it again, and it's like, what was I thinking? Yeah. Did I see? The, am I watching the same movie I watched before? Right. Yeah. That really, that's sad to me. Yeah, I, I can't stand that too. I would much rather it be this way, where it's yeah. like I watch it and I I enjoyed it, but I'm not like totally gung ho. Yeah. And then later, maybe I'll see it again and and like it even more. So I'm hoping that's the case. I mean, yeah. I liked it. I wasn't bored at all. I enjoyed the movie. I didn't think it was slow. I I yeah. can see why why you might classify it as slow. But I would not say it was my favorite movie by far. Yeah, but worth a watch. Yeah, exactly. And I recommend worth anybody, you know, and like with any of the movies we talk about, I recommend you watch it, whether yeah. I like it or not. <laughs> yeah, you got to make your own opinion. <laughs> or there's a lot of problems, you know. Go, you know, go see this movie, f- seek it out, watch it, form your own opinion. Yeah, and then uh, tell us all about it. Enjoy the experience of watching it. Well, if nothing else, with you the glut watch of it for crap those. that's coming out yeah. of theaters nowadays <laughs> and over the last. 15 to 20 years or whatever in film and not saying everything that comes there's good movies that come out but yeah. there's a glut of a a lot of mediocrity that comes out a lot of these older movies that fall between the cracks or you know were successful and forgotten about really need to be kept alive agreed you know and yeah. 
Well, in this one, it's worth watching if for no other reason than to see a lot of these really cool shots. Oh, yeah. I mean, cinematography is great. Cinematography in this this is amazing. I I loved it. And it's like, I need to, I I meant to say this disclaimer at the beginning, and I've said it on a couple episodes, but not on all the episodes. This podcast that we do, one, we do for the fun of it. We're not getting paid for this. (laughs) I wish we could. This is not like a lot of podcasts where there's, you know, give you every factual detail about the movie. We're not going to do that. We're not going to read the IMDb list of credits, all the facts that the cast and everything about the movie and writer, producer, director, you know, blah, blah, blah. And every little detail, you can get that anywhere. Yep. Most of these movies we watch, we love, we like. And the idea is to just convey that to anybody that's listening, you know, and, and just give an opinion. Hey, it's something you've never, you may have never seen this. Here's what I thought about it. Get, you know, to get you to watch it mm-hmm. or give it a shot. And if you like it, cool. You've got a new favorite movie or a new movie to rewatch again. And if you don't, okay, you don't have to wonder about it anymore. You know? <laughs> but, you know, I mean, a lot of these we're really enthusiastic about and hopefully that enthusiasm will come across and it will get somebody else interested to watch these movies, you know. Yep. And that's the main goal, the main idea. We're just here to share. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. <laughs> I do like podcasts that do give you a lot of detailed, minute information. That's cool, too. I yeah. listen to a few that do that. Lord but... knows you keep a lot of that stuff in that trivia trap head of yours. <laughs> yeah. And I like that, too. But, you know, a little something to make us a little different is, yeah, you know, you can read IMDb just as easy as I can. <laughs> yeah. True. But what we get out of watching it, you can't get off IMDb. Yeah. So that's what we're trying to do. So that's it for that. So enough of that PSA stuff. So I guess that's about it. I don't have anything else to say about this. Nope. So check it out. Look at for it streaming. I don't know. It might be on YouTube. I don't know. It probably Maybe it's is. On Roku. I'm not Could sure. Could be on Roku. If not, Amazon's got the Blu-ray for under 15 bucks. You can't beat that. It is true. Well, I was trying to figure out who I wanted to... Uh make you relate back to Planet of the Apes. Because the world does revolve around Planet of the Apes. Yes, the world revolves around Planet of the Apes. And I, I think I'll just go easy on you and, and give you Russ Tamlin because anybody else, well, not anybody else, but he's probably the, the easiest. Russ Tamlin. Yeah, actually, he is the easiest. Should I give you somebody harder? You want somebody harder? No. Okay. I'll take Russ. Russ Tamlin would be the most fun, I think. Okay. We do this little thing at the end of each episode where Phyllis gives me uh, somebody or something from the movie we've talked about tonight, and I have to connect them back to Planet of the Apes. Because many years ago, Clayton and I discovered that the world does indeed revolve around Planet of the Apes. And much like the Kevin Bacon game, what, Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon? Yeah. We found out that you can anything anything back to Planet of the Apes years before the Kevin Bacon game happened. So that's what we're, we're doing here. So Russ Tamlin. Russ Tamlin to West Side Story. To Rita Moreno, okay? Mm-hmm. Rita Moreno to Marlowe with James Garner. Mm-hmm. Bruce Lee was in Marlowe. Bruce Lee was Cato on the Green Hornet. The Green Hornet and Cato were on a two-part episode of Batman, the 66 series, and Rodney McDowell played Bookworm on the series, Reoccurring Villain. Well, Planet the Apes. Then. Thank you very much. Well done. <laughs> There you go. The world revolves around Planet of the Apes. It does indeed. <laughs> Russ Tamlin was also in Dracula vs. Frankenstein. Just throwing that out there. Oh, well, good to know. Yeah. That's probably the way I could have gone from Dracula vs. Frankenstein, but anytime I can talk, you know, mention Bruce Lee, I'll get that in there. And you should. 
So that's about all for this episode, I do believe. I believe you are right. Till next time. Thanks for listening, everybody. Good night. Good night. Good night.